Hey, another great episode of Roundup is coming up next. If you like what you heard, please go online to redsearadio.org and donate, become a monthly sustaining member, and keep us on the air. Thank you and God bless. Good morning. It is Wednesday, October 7th. This is the Red Sea Roundup. Thank you for joining us. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. Today, our program is going to look a little different. Rather than having a specific guest, we're going to be talking about diaconate formation. And uh, Robin Waters is going to join us in the second part of the program. And Robin was just instituted as an acolyte. And we're going to talk a little bit more about what that is in the second section. It is traditionally one of the minor orders, but we'll explain what all that is also. And also, we're joined this morning by Dr. Thaddeus Romanski, our general manager here at the station in College Station. And, uh, good morning, he'll... Deacon Mike. Good morning. How are you this morning? I'm great. I I like to call this kind of a show a, uh, a grab bag show, or in the words of my seven-year-old, a sack grab. Exactly. Yes. Uh, we're going to cover all kinds of different things. It's, yes. uh, I hope it's going to be an interesting program for our listeners. And speaking of which, I want to welcome everybody listening to us on KEDC 88.5 FM Hearn, Bryan College Station. I want to welcome our listeners in Central Texas on KYAR 98.3 FM, Lorena, Waco. And also a shout out to our listeners in Palestine on KINF 107.9 FM. Our program this morning is live. If there's something you would like to share about what's going on in your parish or have a general comment about what a wonderful job Thaddeus is doing, <laughs> feel free. We're not going to get very many of those comments. <laughs> Feel free to give us a call on 85-LOVE-RED-SEA. That's 855-683-7332. Tell us how, what a great job you think Deacon Mike is doing. We need oh, to you're hear not going to get any calls. Uh, Marion, you, you may not write in. <laughs> <laughs> There'll be a lengthy email sent to the station about it, all, all the things I should have been doing. I mean, all the things you forgot, all the exactly. things you forgot at the grocery store. Those sorts of things. Yes. Yeah. So uh, speaking of those wonderful locations that we have uh, across the middle waste of the of the state of Texas, I don't mean waste as in W-A-S-T-E. I mean W-A-I-S-T, like the middle part of the state. Um, we've got a great benefit dinner happening in Waco tomorrow, October 8th. It is sold out. It's going to be in West at the KC Hall. We've got a great partnership there with the, the West KCs all through our um, station director, Robin Waters. He set all that up. And we want to uh, thank our, our donors up there, have a, uh, have a great meal. We're going to get a great talk from Dr. Michael Foley, who we've had on the radio before. He's yes. a professor of patristics at uh, Baylor. He's going to talk to us about how to drink like a saint in five easy steps. Wonderful. But uh, we have also good news for those who are not able to get tickets. Yes, we do. Yes, we sure do. We, for the first time ever, we are live streaming the benefit dinner. And you can go to redsearadio.org. And right on the front page, you're going to see a banner 
on the top of the page. You're going to click on that uh, tomorrow night starting at uh, 7.30. It's going to go live. That live stream is going to be available. You're going to be able to watch and listen to the live stream as it happens and uh, also join in the financial support of the station at that time as well, just as if you were there, but you can be in your bed clothes. This if you is, choose to. You don't have to be if right, you want to be. Yes. Uh, your dress code is your own. We are not specifying what <laughs> right. you have to wear <laughs> right. to listen to the you, live stream. You do you. You do you. Exactly. But this is one of the things that I find fascinating about this whole shelter in place and COVID-19 thing. Yeah. Uh, we're expanding in ways that we never thought sure, we sure. would. Because, you know. Of necessity. Uh, out of necessity, but. It's also a benefit uh, this way, yeah. you know, we can live stream to the homes of people that might not want to get out, well, but they can participate. Right. And we, as we talked about as a staff, it was, uh, sure, the, the, the pandemic factor was kind of top of the list for why we were going to try to step out and do this. But it also came to mind that every year we have people who say, oh, I can't come, I'm not going to be able to be there. Now they can. If, you're, if your schedule doesn't jive, if you've got to be at the softball field for, for kids' softball that night, throw up the live stream on your phone. Watch it in the stands. I mean, watch your child, too, at the softball game. Don't. I'm not trying to say don't do that, but, you know, multitask. Yes. And um, if your child's playing right field, the ball's not going to get there very often anyway. That's true. Exactly. Believe me, I know, because I have a child that plays a lot of right field. All right. One other thing to talk about. Yes, since sir. Waco's not the only radio station no, sir. having a benefit dinner. That's right, because a little over a month from now, we are going to have our KEDC benefit dinner November 12th. It's going to be at the Brazos Center this year. That's on Briarcrest Drive in Bryan. Don't go out to the Brazos County Expo Center, but rather go to the Brazos Center behind the Target on Briarcrest that's We're, a big facility. It is. It's a much bigger venue. We're going to be able to spread out, put nine feet between tables, 60-inch round tables. I've had a couple of people tell me that they're excited about the nine feet between tables, not so much for the social distancing pandemic factor, but just be able to get away from people that they don't like. They don't have to sit so close to people that they don't like at other tables. So they're kind of excited about it for that reason. The whole distance makes the heart grow faster. Exactly. Exactly. So that's going to be on November 12th, Thursday. You can go to redsearadio.org slash KEDC benefit to register for that. KEDC benefit to register for the one here. Do that now. Tickets $25. Table reservations start at $500. We've had a cup, we've had a, a phenomenon of families uh, getting together and pooling their money to, to sit together at a table this year. That's a really neat idea. Nice option. Try that out. Uh, gather, gather some people together to do that. Dr. Michael Foley is going to come down. Be our guest speaker for that. Yes, I was going to say. I, I was all, I was all excited. Sorry. I was all excited about the speaker in Waco, and I was going to say, you know, well, who have we got lined up down here? Yeah, he's going to give us a twofer. He's going to come. To, he doesn't want to leave. He want doesn't want to have the Saints be drinking up in Waco. He wants Saints to be drinking here in Bryan College Station as well. Let and, the Saints come drinking, and we want that too. Yeah. So he's going to talk to us about that and how to make a holy happy hour, as he likes to say. His books are going to be for sale. He's going to um, hopefully be able to do some book signings. All of this done with you know protocols in mind and and safe environment kinds of considerations. So wonderful. 
Now, normally in the first part of the section, we, uh, segment, we talk about the saint of the day. Yes. Now, today we have the memorial of Our Lady of the Rosary, and we're going to talk about this a little bit more in the second section and uh, talk about how this came to be and why it's important for the church. But one thing I wanted to talk about is praying the rosary. Mm. Because uh, this morning at uh, we had a communion service at St. Anthony's, and the homily was about... He's uh, holding up a rosary and clicking the beads. He's trying to click the beads next to the microphone. I don't think it got picked up. Uh, but we were talking about the fact that prayer is unifying. And the whole mm-hmm. point of this feast is the entire Christian community coming together and praying as one. Yes. And so the very notion of this memorial, Our Lady of the Rosary, is the idea of bringing the Christian community together with a common cause, uniting to do something that actually is effective. And prayer is always effective. Yes, yes. And to help us do this, St. Anthony's is having a novena Mm -hmm. of the rosary for the healing of our nation. Mm-hmm. asking the entire community to come together and pray for the healing of our nation. Now, this is a, a cooperative effort between the radio station and St. Anthony's because the videos, uh, the soundtrack was recorded here at the station. And um, each day, beginning today, and you can go to the St. Anthony Facebook page and the first video is uh, loaded up. You can pray the rosary together with it, and then tomorrow, day two, will be posted, and then day three, and so on. And again, the whole point of this is coming together as a community for a common cause, which is how this feast got started in the first place. Mm -hmm. And so, especially when we look around the world the way it looks right now, the biggest thing missing is a sense of unity, a sense of we're all in this together. We hear all these voices telling us that this side wants this and this side wants that. And it's not just in politics. I hear it even in the Catholic Church. And it is extremely distressing. And I always want to point out that the word for the devil is the word diabolos. Mm-hmm. And it is the great scatterer. What he wants to do is pull us as far apart as he possibly can. Mm -hmm. And one of the ways to resist that is praying the rosary as a community, coming together with a common purpose. And all we're praying for is to heal our nation, to unify us with a common objective. And all of us have a common objective. We want a prosperous nation We want our children to grow up in a safe environment. We want to be able to pursue happiness without constraint. And I think all of us can agree on these things as they're written in our Constitution. And I think it's helpful that we come together, we pray together, and we ask God to heal us. And I I want to carry off of that, um, we are 
expected as Catholics and as Christians to pray for our enemies. We're expected to pray for those who are in opposition to us, either physically, institutionally, ideologically. We are to pray for our enemies. And so when we're praying this rosary for unity, we should also be including in our prayers those who are our you know, rivals, opponents, um, fellow citizens who see things differently, do things differently. We are expected to pray for them. We've got to be praying for our enemies, our opponents, our rivals, if we expect to have unity. Well, Jesus actually picks that up a notch and says not only do we pray for them, we are called to love them. Exactly. Exactly, and the whole uh, parable of the Good Samaritan is emphasizing this in spades. The way people apparently feel about the opposing political party, whichever one it happens to be, is mm-hmm. the way that Jews and Samaritans saw each other. Mm-hmm. And this is the point of the parable. No matter how opposite our viewpoint is, our call as Christians is to love our neighbor no matter who he is, right. even if he or she has the audacity to vote for the other party. And to disagree with us. To disagree with us. And so doesn't make them right or them wrong. It means we love them, whether they're right or wrong. Right, and, and loving someone is wanting the good of the other as other, wanting their good. Yes, that's St. Thomas Aquinas' definition and... I think it is well worth for us to remember that we should want the good of everyone. Exactly. It we doesn't want, mean it doesn't mean having warm fuzzies for everyone. It no, means wanting the no. good of of all. We don't want anything person. bad to happen to them, but also we want good things to happen to them. Exactly. Exactly. On a happier note, um, or a more a more joyful note, um, t- this this feast day, Our Lady of the Rosary, is also the the parish feast for St. Mary's here in College Station. And if you are, live here in College Station, they're having a special mass with all the incense, all the uh, bells and whistles, you might say, uh, tonight at 530 Mass at St. Mary's to celebrate their parish feast. Yes. So, um, again, with proper social distancing, yes, uh, probably won't be as much room as there normally would be for this sort of thing, but... Uh, if you are able to come, please make an effort. And even if you can't come to the Mass, remember to pray the Rosary. And we will see you on the other side of the break. And we'll be joined by Robin Waters and we'll talk about diaconate formation. We'll see you in a few minutes. And we're back. Welcome back to the Red Sea Roundup. I'm your host, Deacon Mike Beauvais. And uh, we're still joined by Dr. Thaddeus Romanski, our general manager here at the station and college station. But also now we're joined by Robin Waters, who's our manager at the station in Waco. Robin, how are you? I'm doing great, Deacon. Thanks for having me on for a few minutes. 
Well, uh, the reason we wanted to have you on is because you had a very special day on Saturday. Would you tell us about it a little bit? Well, uh, as some of our listeners may know, I'm in a diaconate formation for the Diocese of Austin, and I've completed about three and a half years of my formation. And this last Saturday at St. William's in Round Rock, Bishop Joe Vasquez instituted me and 15 other members of my class as acolytes in the church. So it was a it was an amazing day and uh, just an honor to be uh, to be able to receive that uh, that uh, that ministry. Now, for those of our listeners who are not familiar with the order of acolyte. Uh, The church used to have a number of minor orders that uh, ordained clergy would go through prior to their ordination as deacons or priests. They have now been uh, shortened to two orders in the order of formation, and that is reader or lector, which uh, candidates are... uh, instituted in at the beginning stages of their formation, and then acolyte, which they are instituted into towards the end of their formation, the rule being that you have to be an acolyte for at least six months prior to ordination. And an acolyte is basically a server at the altar. You have certain additional duties to regular altar servers that you can do such as purifying vessels and uh, things that normal altar servers are not able to do. And so uh, congratulations to Robin and the other 15 men who became acolytes Saturday. How is... Thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. How's formation going? Uh, Is it still as hectic as it has been? Uh, Yes, I'll just say that. (laughs) (laughs) it's very hectic, and, and you know it, it hasn't been all that long since you've been uh, were ordained, and so you know the process. But uh, for those that don't, uh, the diaconate formation is uh, in the Diocese of Austin, at least, is a five-year process. My class and I have completed three and a half years. Uh, it's very challenging, but so rewarding, and the, the spiritual aspects of it, of course, are emphasized more than anything, more than the academic. Because, uh, you know, we have to grow in the Lord to be ready to serve. And as we're told many times, we, you can't give someone something that you don't possess. And so uh, we're asked to spend a lot of time with the Lord. We're asked to be uh, in Mass every day and praying the Rosary every day and doing Lectio Divina every day and a holy hour. And uh, it's uh, praying the Rosary. I may have said that. I can't remember. But uh a lot of things that it, you know you can easily spend a, a good three hours a day with the Lord. And uh, as uh, one of our formation directors, Deacon Guadalupe Rodriguez, told us, is uh, being exposed to the Lord that often and that much that much time every day. It's kind of like when you're out in the sun and your your skin changes because changes color because you're exposed to the sunlight. When you're exposed to Jesus that much, uh, you're changed from the inside out. Your heart is changed and. And I, and I can attest to that. I've got a long way to go, but uh, he's working on me. Uh, Robin Thaddeus here. It sounds to me also like you're describing a, a spiritual uh, regimen that maybe sounds like you have a, our Lord is sort of a, a demanding 
uh, trainer, a, a, a guy who wants you to be in the gym for a lot and do a lot of different exercises and a lot of different sorts of uh, uh, movements of the heart to uh, to stretch and to grow and to, to become stronger. Um, it, it sounds like he's working you out a lot. Is that true? He is. Uh, you know, I, I do I do call all those things that I mentioned my spiritual exercises because that's what they are. But I really wouldn't wouldn't say it's demanding because uh, it's a it's a blessing to be able to to spend that much time with the Lord and to really surrender yourself to uh, to grow in Him, so that to, as to prepare yourself to be ready to take on the servant heart of Jesus and be become a deacon, uh, because it's not a it's not a one time thing. It's once you're ordained, uh, you you receive a permanent mark on your soul that uh, calls you to serve the Lord into service. And uh, Deacon Mike knows well that uh, uh, he calls you to many places that you may that may be unexpected and maybe you don't want to go. But uh, uh, spending this time with the Lord and uh, growing in him, through scripture study and all the other things I mentioned, uh, uh, you've, you learn to, to hear his voice and to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to trust and I'm going to follow. And I think along with what Thaddeus was talking about, this is why St. Paul so often emphasizes physical exercise in correlation with spiritual exercise. The fact that, you know, we have to do certain things to be physically fit. And so the same thing holds for our spiritual life. There are certain things that we must do, and the exercises vary from person to person. Uh, not everybody works out the same way physically in the same way. Not everybody works out the same way spiritually. But the point is that we are working out, that we're preparing ourselves with a certain goal in mind. And for us, that's eternal life. And so, especially as deacons, if we are to guide people in that direction, we have to have an understanding of what it is that is required. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, many times in our life and in our, uh, and when we're trying to grow in, with the Lord, we don't really know if we're following his will. We think we are, but we're not sure. And one of my favorite quotes from uh, Thomas Merton, uh, he's talking about trying to follow the Lord and not really sure if you're, doing his will, but he says that, I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I'm happy to know that because uh, uh, sometimes I wonder. <laughs> <laughs> well, but that's uh, part of every Christian's life is we want certainty in our life. Am I doing this the right way? We want reassurance. And there is no reassurance as far as that is concerned because ultimately it is the effort. It's not, you know, am I doing this right? It's, am I doing it? And so if we keep focused on the idea that, you know, when I get this right, I can stop. That's the wrong attitude. The attitude is keep doing it. Yeah. And if I can interject, I think that ties in well with our feast day today and, and praying the rosary and that idea of, you know, if this is something that if the, the rosary is something that Our Lady asked us to do, then we should have uh, confidence that even if 
our mind wanders and maybe we're not able to meditate as well as we would like to, to contemplate as well as we would like to, really, truly, saying, just praying the prayers of the rosary is going to be efficacious because it's we're doing something that she asked us to do in her son's name. So take take comfort in that. Yes, and you know that goes for our entire spiritual life. It is the willingness to do it, as Robin quoted Thomas Merton on that. It's our willingness to do it is pleasing to God. It's not our perfection in it. It's our willingness to do it. And that's something that uh, that always strikes me because I, I don't, I'm not going to say I'm a perfectionist, but but I, I like to do things correctly, and and I don't really like it when I don't know the correct way to do it. And so as I'm learning new things in formation, sometimes in the beginning, uh, I'm, I'm not sure, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to figure it out and, and, uh, and, and get everything smooth. And, and then at some point I just realized that, uh, uh, I know the Lord is appreciating, as you said, that exercise is always different. It changes as you grow, as you learn. Um, one thing uh, concerning the rosary that since uh, Thaddeus brought it up that happened to me last Wednesday. So during the 40 days for life, I'm uh, on Wednesday mornings early. I'm at a uh, Planned Parenthood in Waco praying. And I was there last Wednesday. I was there this morning too, but last Wednesday uh, I was there and uh, praying outside the fence and a car drives up, pulls into the Planned Parenthood parking lot and it parks right across the fence from where I'm praying. And they were sitting there quite a long time, and I, and I just was thinking, you know, what are they here for? Is it a, you know, a woman that's pregnant or someone seeking some kind of services that, you know, is or not, not holy, you know? And and so I just I had finished my rosary, but I just started again. And when I got to the Our Father, I I, I, I prayed the first Our Father, and then I went into the Hail Marys. And about the third Hail Mary at the beginning of the rosary, uh, the lady hadn't got out yet. And she just cranked the car up and drove off. And then I just said, hmm, thank you, Lord. You know, I, I don't know how much uh, my prayers were a part of that, but uh, she never got out of the car. You know, she just finally drove off. And the thing is... Thanks be to God. Yes, you have no way of knowing, was she there for a job interview? Was she there for an abortion? Was she there for all kinds of different reasons? But your presence there apparently made a difference. I believe it did, yeah, by the power of God. And I think this is why prayer is so effective. It is our sharing in Christ's mission of bringing love to the world around us. And ultimately, I think that's the purpose of prayer. Every time we pray, we're praying for something and in short, it's always love. Yeah, and I think I think there's a, a way in that even Robin is praying that she doesn't commit a grave wrong there. Okay, but at the same time, because Robin's doing that, or anyone in, in that situation, but here particularly, because Robin's doing that, he is taking on that lady's life onto his own shoulders. He is taking on her burdens onto his own shoulders because he's putting his mind and his heart and his time even into into that lady's life. Do you see what I'm saying? So yes. he really is, mm -hmm. you know, helping. He, there is a real way in which he is 
taking on her good and taking on her her very life in that sense in a very profound way. Prayer is very, very profound that way. Yes, and it connects us to one another because unless you're strictly praying for yourself, mm-hmm. every prayer is a connection to the people we love. That's right. That's right. Well, good on you, Robin. Thanks, and thanks for your time this morning with us. We know you have a lot to uh, still, the little little loose ends, little bows to tie up there in uh, in Waco, and we'll we'll see you tomorrow, bright and early, to help uh, finish the setup. But gosh, thanks for everything you've done up there, and I know it's going to be a great night tomorrow night. Well, thank you, and and I just want to give a shout out to all those that have have purchased tables and tickets. Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing all of you tomorrow. I think it's going to be a great event. We're going to have a good time, good food, some good fellowship. And uh, as you said, I've got a lot of loose ends to finish up today, but uh, with, with y'all's help tomorrow, we will be ready to go. All right. Well, have a great one, man. And congratulations on your installation as Acolyte. Yes, congratulations. Congratulations. Do we Thank have you, to call you Acolyte, Acolyte Waters now? Is that what we, how we refer to you now? I don't. I don't think so. I don't. Oh. I don't think I've uh, reached that level yet. You know. Okay. okay. Whenever. When. I, if I ever. If I make it ordination like Deacon Mike. Uh, uh, you know, I'll accept Deacon. Okay. Okay. Fair enough. I just wanted to make sure I was on <laughs> on good ground. Okay. All right. See you later. Thank you. Bye bye. One of the other things I wanted to touch on today, because we're talking about formation, and uh, for those of us in the diaconate. Formation doesn't end with ordination. Mm. Um, we are required to do a number of hours of continuing education. We're required to participate in a retreat once a year. And um, one of the things that is part of that formation is each year we have a convocation, which we go to mass, uh, restate our obedience to our bishop. And usually we have... A bit of continuing education uh, speakers okay. brought in um, to help us on a topic that you know perhaps we're not as comfortable with or not as adept in as we should be, and so it's a way of reaching the entire diaconate community and provide some continuing insights. And one of the uh, things that I was impressed with is uh, we had Bishop Favre from uh, Huma Thibodeau in Louisiana be our keynote speaker for the convocation this year. And he spoke on a topic that for most of us as deacons might be difficult to talk about. And this is race relations in our country right now. Um, given everything that we hear and see, it's extremely difficult to address certain things without coming across as clumsy, not knowing what to talk about, how to address it. And it was helpful to have a bishop and uh, come in and talk to us about a little bit of the background of the church's teaching on racism. And uh, one of the things he mentioned is this is not a new thing for the church. The church has been teaching this from the very beginning. We might say since St. Paul's letter to the Galatians, when he reminded us that in Christianity, uh, 
None of these divisions matter anymore. Not Greek, not Gentile, not male, not female. And um, the church has put out numerous papers on the evils of racism. Um, 1958, 1963, 1979, 2018, there's an ad hoc committee on um, racism, which was established in 2017, and Bishop Favre is the chair of that committee. But the church has always taught against any division in the church. That doesn't mean there's easy answers to the things going on right now. But ultimately, the answer must always be that we love one another as brothers. And again, it's that theme for today, that unifying message of the church, that we are all brothers and sisters in Christ and brought together in prayer. But um, one of the comments that uh, Bishop Favre made uh, uh, struck me especially we have a lot of uh, news media talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and uh, Bishop Favre was uh, sure to point out that as Catholics, we cannot support the national movement of BLM. There's far too many things that run directly counter to what the church teaches. Men- mention a couple of those real quickly. Well, uh, the Marxist philosophy, LGBTQT, uh, all these things. The destruction that, of the nuclear the family. Exactly. Uh, and so there's definitely great problems with the national movement. But he said to be careful that we do not paint everyone that talks about Black Lives Matter with the same brush, because a lot of times the people may just be talking about the current concern with what's going on in the country. The hashtag is it sometimes said in shorthand. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the way he explained it. He said, if someone's house is on fire and the fire truck shows up, yes, the neighbor's house is important too, but let's deal with the house on fire first. And he said, so when someone uh, is in favor of Black Lives Matter, they may have a very good reason for that and not be at all associated with the Black Lives Matter movement. Although one of the deacons did point out that a lot of times it is very difficult to discern for the general population that there is a difference. So again, as deacons, we have to be careful how we address that and always make sure that we are sensitive to all the issues involved and to the concerns of the people that we're talking to, and should never make light of anything, especially when it comes to relations among peoples. Because again, Christ calls us all to be brothers and sisters, and to love one another as we want, uh, as we love ourselves. Um, But what impressed me is that the church continues to provide us with the tools we need to be better deacons. And they do the same thing for the priesthood, the tools they need to be better priests. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm inclined to uh, want to, you know, dip our toes into the, uh, the font of uh, Catholic 
history of church history for just a, a few minutes here on this topic. And, um, you know, the, the church going back to the 15th century when the colonial period began uh, on the part of the Spanish and the Portuguese empires um, colonizing the Caribbean, South America, Central America, um, you started to see uh, the enslavement of the Indian peoples. There was already the slave trade between Africa and the, uh, the New World. And they were engaging in in the buying and selling of slaves there, and and it was that one of those slave ships that arrived in Jamestown in 1619 and began the history of uh, slavery in the the North American English colonies. Uh, but it's it's well documented. There's a an excellent book called The Popes and Slavery by a priest Joel Panzer, published in 1996. And it documents that from right along, all along the way, the popes, the official ordinary magisterium of the church, condemned slavery. It condemned the slave trade. You have popes, Eugene IV, Pius II, Paul III, Gregory XIV, Urban VIII, Innocent XI, Benedict XIV, Pius VII, Gregory XVI, Leo XIII, all condemning either the slave trade or the institution of slavery itself. Leo XIII is at the end of the 19th century, and that list of popes stretches all the way back to the mid-15th century. That's 400 years of various bulls, proclamations condemning it. Uh, Pope Eugene IV in 1435, the papal bull, Sicut Dudum, invoked the blood of Christ shed for all to beg his subjects to, quote, desist from these deeds, and cause those subject to them to desist from them and restrain them vigorously. He's calling on Catholics, Spanish Catholics, Portuguese Catholics. Um, so, so there's that, but then I, I think it also reminds me of the mid-19th century in the United States amongst the, uh, the bishops of the church here in the United States, North and South, who, despite that long line of papal teaching and church teaching um, more or less conformed themselves to the, the mores of the day. And they were reluctant to, even Northern bishops were reluctant to condemn the practice of, of slavery to, to align themselves with the abolitionist cause. And, and partly because they saw that uh, because there was a great deal of anti-Catholic bigotry by the same people who were themselves uh, abolitionists or sympathetic to the abolitionist cause or free labor type Republicans. So there were cross currents there that they were trying to navigate. And I think that that is um, instructive to remember that um, like them today, we also need to be cle clear and sure that we are responding to and following the teachings of Christ and the teachings of the church and not trying to uh, conform to the mores of the day or more concerned about being able to be in polite company, so to speak. And I think it's important to note that we need to be able to discern what is official church teaching and what is commentary. Right. And what falls in between. 
And uh, I'm always uh, glad to recommend uh, Jimmy Aiken's book, Teaching with Authority. Yeah. Because he very nicely spells out how we discern what documents and what statements are true church teaching, have marriage uh, magisterial weight, and, um, of course, how to discern what dogma is. And we need to be aware of this. And as Thaddeus was pointing out, you know, the official church teaching on racism has never wavered in the church. Not since St. Paul in his letter to the Galatians. We are all called to be one. And so we sometimes hear commentary for indivi- from individuals, even sometimes high officials in the church, that don't always clearly state what it is that the church teaches. So we need to be aware of what it is that the church teaches and always ask ourselves whether I agree with it or not, what is it that the church teaches? Yeah, and one thing, something we're also asked to, to, to do as Catholics is to uh, have an attitude of docility, docility to church teaching, that um, basically coming with an attitude of um, maybe I don't know best probably don't know best. Probably my appreciation of something here and now in this one moment in time uh, needs to be formed by a tradition of 2,000 years that's sitting on the rock of Peter who was conformed and confirmed in that role by the Son of God and, and and everything is a reflection and a development of the teachings of the Son of God. Maybe I need to I need to take that in and let that work on my views and my opinions. Which is why tradition is so vital to the understanding of doctrine and dogma. Right, right. What has the church always held? Not what is popular today, but what has the church always held and taught? Right. While we're on this subject, uh, Pope Francis has just issued a new encyclical, Mm -hmm. Fratelli Tutti. We're all brothers. Is that a new ice cream flavor? No, it is not. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, as with all uh, papal documents, historically, they derive their name from the first two letters in the Latin text. Right. So we have rerum novarum and humana vitae and... Sicut dudum, as I just uh, mentioned. It was yes. a bowl, but not an encyclical. But, but uh, most uh, Vatican uh, documents are named after that. Right. Uh, I have heard that there's a little consternation that the first two letters talk about men only. I mean, the first two words. And uh, knowing Pope Francis, that should not be a major concern that uh, Pope Francis is about as egalitarian as they come. Mm -hmm. Uh, But uh, it is a wonderful reminder of what we're talking about, that he's calling us to remember that all of us are brothers and sisters in Christ that we are one family mm-hmm. and our divisions mm-hmm. should never be the defining commentary. On yeah, our and, and that's really interesting to, to tie back to the mid 19th century. Okay. One of the novel theories that uh, defenders of, of slavery were, were resting on was this idea of there having been two creations and that, uh, persons of African descent were part of this second creation, not 
not divinely ordained and, and described in Genesis. I'm, I'm painting with kind of broad brush structure. But there, the church is speaking out very strongly and saying, no, that we're all members of one creation. Um, and Pope Leo XIII, he wrote in Catholicae Ecclesiae that he added to the arguments from eternal salvation and the universal call to true faith, the reason of the unity of human origins. We are all from this one human family. So there, there's the church standing against what was considered to be legitimate science or science that, that should be, you know, given a, a place in the public square. Okay. How's that? Does that sound familiar folks? Yes, we hear this all the time now, but science says, mm -hmm. and uh, it has not been historically proven that science is always right because science tends to change over time as we learn more things. And so, again, the church has always held that things are true or they're not true. And until proven true, don't put too much weight in it. Right. But back to the uh, Pope's new encyclical it is well worth noting that it is a reminder that as one community, we should have a concern for all the things that tie us together, the goods of the world, the finances of the world, the resources of the world, the environment. All these things have meaning for all of us. And so there needs to be an awareness how does what we do affect other people? And is there cause for us to be concerned with how it affects other people rather than just us? And so, again, the Vatican has no interest in politics other than in the morality of it. The Vatican calls us all brothers and sisters and reminds all governments to think of the world in that light. Is that going to happen? More than likely not, but that doesn't keep the church from reminding us that on the higher order, that should always be our perspective, that we look at the world as it relates to us as brothers and sisters, and that there is a need of more emphasis on that in the world today, rather than, you know, we go it alone. Right. And, and let's go back to your point that you made at the first part of the show to kind of, as we start to wrap up here with about 10 minutes on the, the rosary and its role in developing and building unity. And, and let's, let's finish up talking about this feast day of uh, Our Lady, the rosary, right? That you, you promised that we were going to come back and, and talk a little bit more about. Exactly. And as I mentioned earlier, the whole notion of prayer as unity is so interesting to me because today the readings for today, were the introduction in Luke's gospel of the Our Father, which again is a unifying prayer. It's Our Father. Yes, exactly. And so one of the wonderful things about the rosary is that the foundational prayers are the Our Father and the Hail Mary. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's a unifying prayer. Pray for us sinners. At the, uh, We're all sinners. That's death. something that yes. unites us. Yes. But uh, 
let's talk a little bit about the origin of this memorial because this is absolutely fascinating. And this is one of the reasons I asked Dr. Thaddeus Romansky, our resident historian, to give us a little background of this, because if you have never heard the story of the Battle of Lepanto, you're going to find this fascinating. Yeah, so this is October 7th, 2020. It's the 449th anniversary of the Battle of Lepanto, okay? So 1571 was this great—this is considered to, to be—even outside of church history, this is considered to be one of the great battles of human history, a, a military encounter that— had far-reaching changes in diplomacy, politics, culture, okay? Not only that, one of the most surprising victories yeah. in the history of warfare. Right. So the the Ottoman Turks, um, Muslim, uh, Muslim Empire based out of Asia Minor, they had been on the move against the West from about the 1200s. We're talking in the 16, 16th century, 1500s is when this battle takes place. So, um, a number of years, about a, about seventy five years earlier, they had finally taken down the Byzantine Empire, the Eastern Roman Empire. They've captured Constantinople in fourteen fifty three, and they are going to continue their move westward. Um, the Turks the Turks believe uh, that Rome is a quote uh, ripe apple for the taking. They want to invade Italy. They've moved across the, the Mediterranean, capturing uh, parts of the Balkans and uh, some of the Mediterranean islands. They're finally stopped, however. Their forward advance is stopped in 1565 on the island of Rhodes by the Knights of the Hospitlers. And this throws a little bit of a, a wrench into their, their plans. Nevertheless... They still plan to build this large fleet to go invade Italy so that they can they can land troops on the Italian peninsula. Well, they're going to need to have a, a, sig- a significant naval force to transport those, those troops. Enter Pope Pius V. And now this is a little connection to uh, drinking with the saints. I'll try to weave that in at the end if we get there, but we, we may not have time to, to get there. But enter the po- Pope Pius V, a saint of the church, and he... He uh, writes missives and letters to the monarchs of Europe calling for another crusade to defend Italy and defend Europe against this looming threat of the Ottoman uh, invasion. The French don't respond. The, 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 uh, the Germans don't respond. Uh, the Austrians sort of half-heartedly respond. Really, the only takers he gets are the Spanish, the Venetians, and the Genoese. And so they form what's called the Holy League to oppose, uh, to build a fleet and oppose the Ottomans. I'm sorry, I misspoke earlier. Not Rhodes, it was at Malta. It was the the invasion of Malta, excuse me. Um, Pope Pius V gets this this fleet built, and it's assembled, and they move out to to encounter the Turks at this... um, location off the coast of Greece known as Lepanto. Now, there's some technological factors here. The Holy League have these ships called galleasses, which are essentially floating artillery batteries that are towed into place, and the Turks didn't have anything like this. 
And then a lot of their galleons, or both sides had galleons, which are ore-powered ships. The many, many Holy League galleons had forward-facing cannon, cannon on the prows of the, of the ships, whereas traditional galleon tactics was ramming and boarding. So you have the, the Holy League fleet, which has this sort of attack-at-a-distance kind of advantage against the Turks, and that's going to be part of the victory. But what's really, truly miraculous is that the Pope has rosaries distributed to all the members of the fleet, from the oarsmen to the commanders. And one of the ships commanded by the great Andrea Doria of Venice, I believe, they had mounted on the front of their ship an image of Our Lady of Guadalupe that had actually been touched to the tilma in Mexico City, transported back to Italy, mounted on the front of this ship. And at the height of the battle, the height of the battle, all these rosary prayers being said, the wind changes and allows the, uh, against the Turks and in the favor of the Holy League, and it allows them to, to have the sort of advantage, the, the natural physical advantages, and they're able to press the attack the Turkish fleet is wiped out, driven back, and the threat to Rome is staved off. And it really, it, it, there would be an, another invasion of Venice uh, later in the, sev- in the 17th century, and I think still to come in the, later in the, at the end of the 15th, if I'm, 1500s if I'm remembering. But Rome, the heart of Christendom, is never really again under threat as it was in the face of this invasion staved off at Lepanto. So Pope Pius V, he credits the victory to the intercession of Our Lady of the Rosary. He dedicates a feast on the universal calendar called Our Lady of Victory. That's what it was known by initially. But then his successor, Pope Gregory, uh, who comes the next year, 1572, renames it to Our Lady of the Rosary because Pope Pius V had a vision of the battle at the time, seeing the the fight going on and seeing that moment of the wind changing and the the attack being pressed by the Holy League. And one thing you did not mention is the vast superiority in numbers. Oh yes, yes, yes. Of, Excuse me for leaving that out. Yeah. Yes, uh, of the uh, Turkish fleet because they there was no. No sane person would have put money on the uh, Holy League. All yeah. the money would have betting money would have been on the Turkish yeah, the, fleet. The Turks, the Turks had about three hundred war galleys, and the Holy League had two hundred eight ships. So they were down about a hundred ships. That technological advantage was important, and of course they had the they had the spiritual juice behind them as well. Yes, and the fact that the wind just happened to change at just the right time. Right, right. The Holy League won the day. They destroyed 237 Turkish ships. They only lost 12 of their own. The Ottomans gave up 25,000 dead soldiers and galley slaves. A number of those died trying to escape or mutinied against their captors because the Turks used enslaved Christians very often— as oarsmen 
or in their Janissary Corps, which were their, their elite boarding troops. And that's something that also doesn't get talked about a lot in this debate over slavery is Muslim enslavement, the Muslim Turkish role in the slave trade in Africa, the use of Christian slaves, um, what kind of a model that set for colonization and imperialism for the Spanish and the Portuguese who got themselves involved in there. That 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 story needs to be told as well. Yes. Well, we're nearing the end of the program, and um, I wanted to tie this up in a prettier little bow. And again, the whole reason we're talking about all of this is because on this memorial of Our Lady of the Rosary, it's a reminder that one, all of us, are one, and we should act like it. And uh, one of the ways we can do this is pick up our rosaries, join together, and pray for one another, no matter who we are, no matter what we believe, no matter what we think as the most important thing right now, the most important thing right now is unity that we truly become the people of God that we're called to be and love one another. That's the end of our show. Next week, Gene Wilhelm will be our host. And remember to tune in for that. And then, when considering the many ways we might share your time, talent, and treasure with God, always round up. Rumors and talk.